Hi, I'm Anna Burt, and I'm Sue's daughter. Hi, I'm Emily Benito. I'm Trudy's daughter. Though our mums are both dead, the fact doesn't change. We're both adapting to living our lives without our mums, and know we are very much not the only ones. We have joined forces to create a podcast in the hope that we can provide what we feel we needed and still need in our grief. The mothership, the mother load. There's no getting around that mother means something big. There are so many different kinds of mother, biological, step, figure, and so many different kinds of grief when they're gone. We're here to do what we can in podcast form, welcoming guests so we can explore our experiences together, where they converge and where they vary, and, hopefully, understand a little more about the nuance and scope of The The Mother mother of All Losses. Losses. Good afternoon, Anna, but how is your grief today? I really don't, it, you know, it's so, it's not bad. And my dreams of, I went through a period of just dreaming about like my mum and the house and just feeling really anxious. But um, funnily enough, my anxiety dreams have just changed focus now and they're no longer on her. Um, but my grief is okay, actually. It was, it's both me and my brother are really missing my dad at the moment, who is alive, but lives closer to you up in Scotland than he does to us and I think just that that feeling of kind of you know I'm I'm used to not seeing him that much and I'm but I would have normally seen him in this amount of time do you know what I mean and I think that um and also that kind of one thing that I've been exploring a lot um because I'm working on a writing project at the moment is anticipatory grief um and I've been thinking a lot about that and and worrying about you know that one day my dad will die and we haven't been that close for that long and you know thinking of all the time that we won't be able to spend together you know that is it sounds more depressing than it is but also with my grandma who I've been you know who I've looked after for the last seven years and who I adore in that kind of way that I love my mum or you know they still love my mum and just she's 93 you know I did vaccination but you know it's not going to give her 10 years and and a lot of what I'm exploring in my writing is about that that relationship between grandmothers and granddaughters and how completely different it can be to mothers and daughters but have that same potency and have that same um level of intensity um because there's no one that can piss me off as much as her but there is literally no one you know apart from maybe Fred, my little brother um who we're going to talk to later in the season um who I who I kind of adore as much as her and so I've just been thinking about that a lot and and worrying for myself um you know how I will be and how I will feel when she does eventually die because that is something that I think I'm going to have to explore a lot of my ungrieved grief with my mum when I lose her as well because we were very much a kind of triangle so that's kind of where my mind has been it's almost been around grief in much more general terms than specifically about my mum yeah I I, that's so I know I, the thing that really struck me there what you were saying is that it's not as depressing as it sounds because I feel you I think once you've experienced grief and you're in a place where it you you just experience on a completely different level the inevitability of it and that it's definitely going to happen but I think it does make you take stock, right? So anticipatory grief is an excellent term, I think, because it's different from dread or morbid thinking, you know? And it's the way that I think you and I, in terms of grief advocacy and getting people to talk about it, is like you can anticipate and prepare in certain like pragmatic ways, like sort of writing a living will and, and just thinking about well what can I do whilst I'm alive to take <laughs> some of the pressure off um the people who will survive me and I mean big props to Anna Nana for getting her first dose I was really excited when you told me about that this week but to really treasure and cherish something so important and that bond because that's it. Like, if no one else can irritate you quite like her, that just means you're so close. Like, that intimacy. And that's something incredibly precious. Yeah, it is, actually. Um, <laughs> how's your grief? Um, and do, I don't even know if you have grandparents. I do not know 
all my grandparents left. Oh, I couldn't have been more than 11. It's a funny thing because both of my dad's parents, um, my grandfather died before I was born. My grandmother died, I think, when I was about two. My mum and I were staying with her, actually, and my mum found her in the morning. She went very peacefully in her sleep. Um, and that's my granny Benita. So you can see the connection there. Um, and then my mum's parents, um, her dad, my granddad, died when I was quite young. And then my grandma held on in for a long time. And I think I was about 11 when she died. But I think the thing was just that I didn't feel those as keenly because I was either very young or there was just a kind of distance. Um, I really enjoyed seeing my mum's mum, my nana, um, when I did. But I think because we would see each other every couple of weeks, you know, even though there was quite a sort of geographical distance. Um, so I've been without, yeah, grandparents. And I think because we just moved around a lot, there's also that sense of kind of you're never quite I've never had that sort of sense of being really close to everyone nearby, which I think is a factor. Um, but in terms of my my grief right now, I had a birthday recently, my first and hopefully last lockdown birthday. Uh, it, it, the the biggest sympathies extended to anyone who is like looking down March, April, May, being like, "Will I actually have? <laughs> Will I get to see my friends?" Um, it was very nice. I mean, it's not like I did much beyond um, eat more cheese than I would normally do on a weekend in lockdown. But I found that my birthday is actually where I felt the loss of my mum most keenly. I think because the very first birthday I had after she died was agony because I don't think I realised like, oh, for me anyway, my birthday is not just about me. It's actually about, you know, who gave birth to me, who's now dead. Um, so that was kind of all around. And I was just really struck as well. Like you're talking about um, sort of grandmothers and, and the potency of that. I finally finished reading um, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo, which my friend gave me for my birthday last year. <laughs> I was like, oh, I really should actually read this. I can't recommend it enough. It's not like I'm, you know, the hype is anything new. Um, I think it's one of, I think it's one of the yeah, funniest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also think it's great. Put that sticker on the front cover. Emily Benita, seal of approval. Um, it's one of the funniest books I've ever read and one of the most accurate. And I think it manages to have this kind of position of observing without judging, but still really principled, which is just it's like a staggering feat of writing. But so much of that is mothers and daughters and grandmothers and this really strong like the the, the history her history it's her story and there were points where the description of kind of the bond between mother and daughter are just so beautifully rendered but it was like incredibly painful so every so often I'd have to just like set it aside and I don't know if anyone's read it who still has I don't know what the effect is for someone who's reading it who hasn't lost their mum but it's a funny old time and it will continue to be, <laughs> but I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I think also like when you don't have your mum around on your birthday, like even if you don't see them or whatever, like it's just a bit of attention that you're so used to having that you don't get. I don't mind my birthday. Never particularly bothered me that much, but I've got some really good friends in the dead mum club who find their birthdays completely unbearable and actually just haven't had a good one since. But yet, their mum's birthdays, you know, they feel quite a joyful occasion, whereas I find my mum's birthday very difficult because she's not another year older. But um, I can completely see where you have that, you know. And there's that that funny feeling of overtaking, you know, carrying on living whilst they have ceased to. And, and I've had a couple of conversations with people who are slightly older than myself um, about their grief and saying that the age that they became, the mother's age when they, they had died, was one of the hardest ones. Yeah, that is definitely something, kind of going back to that anticipatory feeling, that's something I'm feeling quite hard in realising like, oh, I'm in my 30s now. And uh, apparently, after being 30, you're 31. Okay, fine. Um, and I'm going to get close to being, you know, it, it'll just be three years, and I'm 34, which is when my parents married and got met 
and then I'll be 38, which is when my mum had me. And it's like, oh God, this decade and just wondering how she felt at this point. And she's not around to to tell me. Yeah, it's a big, that is a big thing. And I think something that 30s, 30s are, I remember my mum saying to me, your emotion, um, your um, 20s are emotional turmoil, which she was very much right about. Although they're slightly less so in my late 20s. But your 30s are where you feel calm and more settled. And I feel like it is a great shame to not be able to kind of enjoy that calm and have a mum. Completely. So, um, should we bring on our lovely guest today? I think we should, yes. We have got lovely Maya with us today. Maya, can you introduce yourself? Hi, yes, I can. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, it's been lovely to listen to you both talk about your grief um, just now. Um, so, my name is Maya Kalaria and I am a poet and speaker. So I recently published, um, self-published, um, my first book, which is about the loss of my mother. Um, so it's called Half Woman, Half Grief. And I've been a poet since I was very, very young. Um, and so it only seemed right that I would publish a collection of poems about my journey through the underworld, I call it, um, of losing her and trying to navigate the rest of my life without her. Um, so she died when I was nine. Um, and so I am a poet and an author and I'm a speaker. So I speak um, with people like yourselves about my grief. I feel it's really important to do that. Um, I feel it's such a taboo um, and it's something that we really need to normalize. Um, and also I speak about racism and decolonizing. So there is a kind of common thread between them all, because I think within racism and decolonizing, there is a grief, a grief of self, um, loss of self, loss of identity, loss of culture. So I kind of weave those three themes in, into my work. Um, and I am a qualified hypnotherapist. I'm a qualified astrologer. Um, I've worked as a mental health engagement worker for a few years and I also had a background as a retail manager in fashion. So quite a varied, <laughs> quite a varied um, mix of things. But I feel like I bring them all together now in this current um, sort of role that I have. So that's me. Wow. So not much then. <laughs> <laughs> not much. <laughs> quite simple. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm still just staggered. That's, yeah, what do you not do, Maya? That's incredible. So... Now comes the time where we ask you, Maya, how is your grief today? And further to that, just in terms of what you were saying there, like looking through your so social media profiles and how incredible the work is that you've shared there already. I was really fascinated in terms of what you were saying about decolonizing grief mm. and all of that. So I want to ask you, how is your grief today? And for you to just fill that and answer it with whatever shape your grief is and what it applies to thank you yeah sure so um I will start with how my grief is today and I would say um and it this might apply to both of you as well but I know um because I lost my mum when I was nine um and it was never fully processed it, I was never supported um I actually carry my grief with me all the time um I think there's rarely a moment where it's not showing up in some way and it's just that I've learned to live with that and manage that and find joy alongside that so I would say today um, I have a lot of abandonment wounds coming up so for example myself and my partner had a bit of a disagreement earlier but when that happens for me it brings up a lot of abandonment wounds because of losing my mum so there's like a real fear around um, losing people close to me and because my partner is the closest person to me since my mum was alive, so physically intimate, anything around sort of any conflict with him really triggers that abandonment wound. So I am feeling like a, it's like a pain in my heart. We've, I mean, we've solved it now and everything is fine, but it's just that kind of um, hangover, like a kind of pain in my chest, um, which I think is basically because I felt, I felt abandoned <laughs> when my mum died and it wasn't her fault, but... Um, that's just how I took it as a young child. Um, so that's probably quite intense, <laughs> but that is how my grief is 
today, um, but I am very, very used to it. And I do a lot of kind of inner work around it. And, and that's where my external work comes from. So in a way, it's a kind of blessing to really experience this. And so, yeah, that's that's how my grief is today. And in terms of decolonizing, thank you so much for asking. So my uh, family are from India, so um, Gujarat in India, and um, they, my ancestors lived through um, British colonial rule um, where there was systemic racism and um, cultural decimation and many other atrocities that happened. And so um, my family and many other Indians like um, sort of emigrated outwards to Africa to work for uh, under British colonial rule in Kenya and various other places. And so we learned to move around and to survive. But I think within all of that was a cultural loss, a loss of culture, of language, of just roots to our ancestors. And so I was born in England, but even my name was changed so that I wouldn't receive racism. So from birth, there was this whole decision to call me uh, Maya Kalaria instead of Maya Patel, because um, people would potentially be racist because people know that Patel is an Indian name. So for me, my whole life has been around assimilating to the point of not receiving racism. Um, and so I I really have suffered and so has my family with a, a huge disconnect from our ancestral roots and our culture because um, to survive here in this country, which I'm sad to say is still heavily racist. Um, we've had to really let go of so much, so much. Um, and so I am now trying to reclaim that connection. Um, but that it's painful. It's really, really painful because I grieve for what I lost um, within that time. And when my mum died, I wish I'd have asked her more basically about our culture um, and I, I didn't because I was so young, but also because I, I was trying to fit in with the English culture so much that it didn't matter to me at the time. So I hope that sort of answers <laughs> answers your question. That's an incredibly eloquent answer to a question. A quick note, there's no such thing as too intense or intense is not <laughs> yeah. an issue. This is exactly what we want to provide a platform for. And I want to speak to where I feel that I can speak to, which is everything you said so accurately about the abandonment fear and, and that kind of coming into your relationship with your partner. Like, I've really been oh, sort of feeling that over the winter and, you know, lockdown doesn't really bring out the best in the majority of relationships in that. I am not able, you know, as as we all are, not able to see so many of my friends and actually sort of spend time with them. So in terms of kind of that feeling of, oh, it's it's just you and me. And I feel so sorry for my poor partner because I think I'm trying to get better at saying out loud, even as weird as it may sound in the conversation, but just being like, I feel like a child right now just to let him know <laughs> that I need a little bit of kind of coaxing back to the adult space because there is just that like primal panic of you're going to leave me, um, which doesn't help conversations and <laughs> coming down from arguments um, coming from that place as understandable as it is. And listening to you know so the second part of what you were saying there in terms of decolonizing I uh, just to sort of receive that pain because I can't speak to it because that's not my cultural experience and how sort of losing that link to your culture sort of compounding with your mum and that you were so young it's not something that I think any of us should have to think about when we're nine I, that's just I, I can't even really comprehend so I'm sorry, Maya. Thank you. Absolutely. Second thing Emily said there, and just to briefly add, I think, I mean, I feel like grief and relationships is something that fascinates me so deeply and something that, um, you know, regular listeners to the podcast, or, or five of you, no, I'm joking, um, really, <laughs> um, will um, 
I've, I've said that I'm exploring a lot of like issues that I've had in relationships and I'm a serial leaver. Like I will leave people. And I think so much of a part of that, apart from me making like bad decisions is that I'm in control of that leaving. You know, I'm not being left and I am not being abandoned. I'm the one abandoning, but I'm in control. So I therefore cannot be hurt and I cannot be touched and I cannot be abandoned. And I find it very, very difficult to be vulnerable because, you know, when I do really kind of let myself go and really fall for someone, my constant fear is that they're just going to leave or die sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and that is quite extreme. But when I'm feeling particularly, um, and they pent up, you know, they'll say I'm on the way and then they'll be a bit late. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to have to go and identify that body. And do you know what I mean? Like anytime I get a phone call that's unexpected, or even a phone call from my dad when I'm not expecting one, I think, oh my gosh, what's happening? He's died. Like it's, it's such a kind of catastrophic anxiety that has definitely, definitely come from losing my mum young. Maya, this is the point where we ask you to talk about your mum. Tell us how your mum lived and what her name was. And yeah. Sure. So my mum's name was Nutan, uh, N-U-T-A-N, and she was born in Kisumu, Kenya um, in 1961 um, to a Gujarati family who had emigrated from Gujarat to to Kenya. Um, And so she was very, she was very radiant. She was very confident. I think the the sort of description that most people give of her is that she was always laughing and smiling, which for me now, because I'm not that person, is quite a, um, (laughs) quite something to live up to really. Um, I've often compared myself in quite a negative way, but um, we're just different people, I guess. But she, she was very fashionable. So that's something that I really admired about her and she really inspired um, my sense of style and my my um, expression. And she was very um, like ferociously um, loving. I, I don't know how else to describe it. I, I call her ferocious a lot. And I think even in my book, I say ferocious quite a lot because she was quite, um, she was a Scorpio and my partner's a Scorpio. So I really uh, surround myself with them. <laughs> And their birthdays are actually one day apart, so maybe there's no coincidence there. But um, she was very kind of um, very, very warm and loving. But when she was angry, she was very angry. <laughs> um, so she could go from naught to 100 very quickly. But I always felt loved. I think that's the thing. There was just I never questioned it, never, ever questioned how much she loved me. And I was just so close to her. And what I loved about her was that I was quite... Um, sort of an interesting child. I was very clear on my goals at a very young age. Um, I wanted to publish a book. Um, I think I was about six or seven and I knew this. And she actually sent my work to publishers, you know, and and even I was thinking, you know, as a child, I was like, they're never going to accept me. And, you know, they didn't, but she so supported me and believed in me. You know, she never questioned, you know, any of it. And I haven't had that since with family members. In fact, I've actually had the opposite, which is a whole other story. But because of her sort of ferocious support, I've been able to have some anchor in believing in myself now because I think back to her and how she treated me. And that's helped me do what I do with the book. And so she was very supportive of like my my idiosyncrasies and kind of um, my passions for animals. And like, she just never put me down. And I, I really value that. I really, really value that. That's that's kind of a bit of what she was like. That's such a beautiful picture of her. And and it really struck me what you said about never putting you down. And I think that's something that one really, really takes um takes for granted that um, you know, how lucky one is to have a parent that doesn't put them down or question what they do and does support what they do. Because um you know, I actually remember that my mum, there are occasional things where she might have put me down, you know, a little bit. And they that still affects me now, you know, because it's that such a potent feeling. Mm. It's so formative. And, and to have that kind of, I mean, Trudy was the same, like every so often, she'd kind of swing between being, and, and the majority of it was being incredibly supportive. But every so often, uh, I could tell that maybe, you know, a, uh, a future career in crafting wasn't for me, given the looks that she'd give my projects. Yeah, it's it's something that I think I took for granted um, at that young age. And I think I felt a lot of guilt around that because I know she died when I was nine, um, but I feel I should have thanked her more because since then I've had such 
and I'm, I'm going to be really honest about this, really terrible experiences with certain family members, like a lot of um, trauma uh, and a lot of put downs and criticism. And I wish I could have kind of been more appreciative of her. But I also am trying to forgive that child self, because why should a child not be an innocent child and just kind of um, live in the moment? So, yeah, I, I never thanked her, but I hope she does know that I'm very thankful for that now. Of course. Maya, just a sort of tangent question, because I love a bit of astrology, me. What's your star sign? So I'm a Capricorn. Oh, Snapricorn. <laughs> <laughs> What's your actual event oh. of your birth? 10th of January. Ah, you're a January cap. I'm a I'm a December cap and I'm it's the 23rd of December. So it's the like one or two days into to a cap. <laughs> you're you're on the cusp. You're on I the am. Cusp. That's exciting. I'm I'm deep in bleak midwinter January. Anywho, thank thank you for indulging me there. Um <laughs> so Maya, do you have a story that comes to mind when you think of your mum? And again, this doesn't have to be something that's like incredibly poignant it can be just like a flash of a memory of her or it can be as kind of heart-wrenching as you like but what's a story that you like to tell about me um so she yes I do have the, the first story that came to mind actually was when we were in school um I, so I, I have a brother who's one and a half years older than me um so I was about seven years old and he was he was about nine, I think, at that time. Um, she took us out of school early um, at the at Christmas holidays, and um, we were like, "What is going on here? Why are we leaving school early? Like maybe about a week early?" And we went to see my uncle and my cousins and my aunt in London. And when we got there, all of the cousins were in one room, and we were just like, "Why are we here? What are we doing?" And then the adults came in and they said, we are taking you to Florida, to <gasps> Disney World. <laughs> and we were, I mean, you can only imagine like how ecstatic, like I don't, I just can't even begin to tell you like how exciting that was. And so we went to Florida, all of us. Uh, my dad didn't go, but my, yeah, my mum, uh, my brother and I, and then my two cousins and my auntie and uncle. And we had an amazing time. And I think my mum was so excited and I think that just goes to show like how what kind of a person she was like she was excited that we were excited you know she wanted us to enjoy ourselves and to travel the world and to see things and have fun that kind of encapsulates her and I think it honours the spirit that she had. That is every child I mean I mean being pulled out of school to go to Disneyland Florida I mean what how amazing is that? truly truly amazing <laughs> I bet that was the most incredible holiday as well oh my gosh it it really really was I mean I, I threw a couple of tantrums I mean I had a birthday there um and I, I remember it was in Planet Hollywood um which you know everyone like raved about at the time and they brought me this ice cream cake and I think maybe I was disappointed that it was an ice cream cake and not an actual cake, or maybe I just didn't like everyone's attention on me, but I basically crawled under the table. Bless you. And I I think that's maybe something I feel guilty about now, that I have a lot of guilt around being ungrateful for things, um, even though I was a child, but, you know, there's, there's kind of a feeling of guilt, but I was, just, you know, I, I think I just panicked, but, you know, it was it was lovely. It was lovely. And we had some great times on the rides and everything, so... Could I please offer something that I learned about recently um, that may help alleviate your guilt a bit? Because it's certainly sort of chipping away at mine. Um, there is a um, there's a sort of cognitive phenomenon. I mean, that sounds like it's particularly special. It's not. We all have it. But it's called the halo effect. And it's the idea that essentially, you know, with hindsight, you can kind of look back and think oh you know you, you feel differently and you can often judge yourself in the past but it's only because you have the full gamut of knowledge and experience that you do in this moment mm. and I mean Maya you're a child I mean I think that's absolutely adorable the picture of you sort of sitting under the table because <laughs> that is a lot like I was a very sensitive kid and as much as I loved the spotlight it had to be on my terms it, I, I'm not a fan of surprises 
So <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have been under the table with you. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, and also you saying sen- you were sensitive. That is me to a T. I'm, I'm actually a highly sensitive person. I don't know if you guys have heard of that actual definition um, by Elaine Aaron, but um, now I realise that there was so much that was too much, you know, that I couldn't articulate in those moments. But thank you so much it, for that kind of reframing. Um, I do try and work on it, but I think sometimes you just need someone else to offer that. So thank you. Oh, no, you're more than welcome. It's passing it forward. And also I have that book by Elaine Aaron on my bookshelf and I haven't finished it. So maybe thank you for reminding me that I should go back and read it. Maya, I'd be really interested to know, um, just to like talk a bit about what, what, what that definition of sensitivity is, but also how you think that that has played out with your grief. That is such a good question because there is definitely um, a very specific way HSPs and grief play out, I believe. So um, the definition that I take from HSP, um, and I haven't actually read the definition for a while, so I'll just go on on my own experience, is um, being very, very sensitive to energy, other people's energy, so um, absorbing it, picking up on their emotions and feeling very, very empathic to the point of you feel responsible often for other people's emotions. Bright lights are a problem or um, very annoying noises, textures, um, things that are quite physically sensory as well. Um, Also for me, anything, I have a very high disgust level. So if I see something physical that's disgusting to me, I, I actually feel very like I could be sick, like there's a very visceral reaction to it so there's a there's a few different um ways it plays out and so in terms of grief because highly sensitive people we our nervous system is so it's it's almost wired slightly differently so that we process things a bit more deeply than people who are non uh hsp and so something like grief like the level of processing that our bodies go through is just phenomenal um and so I think that's what makes me a poet because there are things that I feel and articulate that only my highly sensitive body could really experience. Like I can literally target parts of my body. Like I was saying earlier, like there's a pain in my heart. There's a pain in my chest right now. Like that's part of my high sensitivity. Like I can tune into different parts of my body and know what's going wrong and what needs help it's an interesting one and so much more I could say about it. I'm almost overwhelmed by how much I could say about it. (laughs) I wondered if you had any more like specific areas that you wanted to know about. I would actually, although I'd like to know all of it, (laughs) I feel like that's a whole separate podcast, but I would love to hear one of these poems and one that you really feel taps into that part of you. Absolutely. Um, Just bear with me a second while I grab the book. I really need to read that book. Will I send it to you after I finished it, Anna? Can you send it to me? I was like, oh my God, that's that's literally me. I was like, like, my terrible gag reflex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, yeah. How have I managed to forget that I had that book in my, in my possession? Anna, I feel really rude. I didn't ask you, what what is your star sign? Because your birthday's in June, isn't it? I'm Gemini. I'm like proper Gemini, like right in the middle of the month. Oh, uh, I thought you might be. I... Yeah, but what does that mean? It just fucking doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't get it. People say that, and I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Gem- honestly, like, love the number of Gemini's that have come into my life, and they are generally <laughs> the coolest people. I'm not even like every. You are so cool, but honestly, every Gemini I know, and I have like I would say five or six really close Gemini friends, are like wildly talented. And this kind of like no brow approach to culture. Like every time I listen to a Gemini talking about like something they're into, there's no concern for like, there's a complete lack of posturing. It's just like, this is quality. I'm so excited about this. So yeah, that's why I want Jodie Marsh on the podcast, babe. <gasps> oh, we need her. But that's it, you know, that's part of it. But we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do Star Chat properly. Yeah, one of my friends was then. She like read my birth chart the other day and it did seem pretty accurate. I'm not against it. I just never, you know, weirdly growing up in Brighton, it wasn't, it was more grungy before it was like hippie. Do you know what I mean? Like it was more like, like gardening hippie than astrology hippie. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally, totally get you. My my pals got me a, a natal birth chart reading for my birthday this year. And it was lovely, but it was like turning every page and scanning every sentence and just being like, oh, God, <laughs> like wincing recognition. Wouldn't it be interesting to get your mum's birth chart? Mm, yes. Um, the thing about my mum is that I can't. Oh, I mean, I might actually have her birth certificate now. Because the thing with um, your birth chart is you need your um, date, location and time of birth. And it's the, it's just the time of my mum's birth. I'm not too certain on. But my mum was a Virgo. And uh, as was my dad, actually. So they were born the same day a year apart. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I think with my parents, unfortunately, not even the stars could do much for them. <laughs> Are both my parents were Pisces, actually. Oh, mm, lovely. I mean, um, so I don't know, Maya. I'm back. Yes, I'm back. Oh, sorry, Maya. Waxing off there. No, please, your 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 poem whenever you're ready. Sure. So I'll just give a bit of context about the poem. Um, It's actually about fury, um, but it's about grief and how grief ties into fury. So when my mum died, um, basically my dad did not talk about it again for about 20 years. So I, me and my brother just were left in the dark. Um, we didn't have any support in our grief. There are a few kind of external family members that, you know, every now and again spoke about my mum, but we had no support. And so I became furious. Um, and so rage is a big theme in my book and it's a big theme in my life, like working with rage. And so this poem talks about rage, but how it shows up in the body, in a grief context. So I shall, I shall begin. <clears throat> and such is the boundless fury of my pain, brushed off by denial, tiny yet dense within me, each grain of dismissal impossible to grasp, to extract from these limbs, wordless, soundless, except for the way my whole body aches and convulses and responds to this world, silently, except for every breath within me, every longing I hold inside, every terror I hold dear. Yes, such is the boundless fury of my pain, that telling you wasn't, isn't enough, that now I must tell the whole world. Oh, oh my gosh, that's wow. so powerful. That is amazing. And yeah, I got shivers. I have shivers all over me. And I think that probably leads us nicely on to talk about something that I'm sure will be quite difficult for you. But our next question is what worked and what didn't work? And that um, poem is a response to something that absolutely didn't work. And we talk about that a lot on the, on the show is silence. And I'd be really, really interested to hear from you about that. Sure. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, So yeah, when my mum died, um, my dad didn't discuss it with myself or my brother. um, And it was only actually last year that he sent us a text saying, um, I'm sorry, I didn't talk about your mum's grief, uh, about your mum's death, sorry. um, And I didn't support you in your grief. And I, at first I was like, oh, he's evolving. But actually then I was furious because I was like, text isn't going to cut like 25 years of ignoring the biggest like tragedy of our lives. Um, And so that really, that really didn't work. And I think basically what happened is when my grief was ignored, it turned into CPTSD because it kind of like leaked out into every other aspect of my life um, because it wasn't contained safely. So it just became all of me. Um, everything was dictated by it. I became, I'm already a perfectionist, but I became an ultra perfectionist for fear of being abandoned. Um, I became highly in control of myself to a dangerous degree. Um, very, very self-contained, very shy as well. I got the impression from society and my family, and I believe this is actually true, that no one wanted me to talk about her death and no one wanted me to talk about her grief because that would mean they would have to look at theirs and they certainly didn't want to do that. And so I became fearful that I was too intense 
and that I should push all of my emotions deep, deep, deep inside, um, which I did. And yeah, it was really unhealthy, really, really unhealthy. Um, and that's kind of where the rage came from because I had, all, I've always written diaries. And so I used to write really angry, angry diary responses. But in my, in my actual life, I was a people pleaser. So there were these two different parts of me, one a raging wild woman and one a very, very nice, good people pleasing girl who was terrified of someone abandoning her. And so what happened when my grief wasn't addressed is that it it caused me to fracture and splinter into different pieces, which the book is kind of like me gathering that back up. So yeah, it it really, really didn't work. And and I remember when I went to university and I was 18, um, that triggered my grief again. So I just leaving home for the first time, I, st- I, I was just a mess. And I remember telling my friends about it and their response was not really to support me. It was to just talk over cancer adverts because she, my mum died of leukemia. So they, they kind of thought, let's just like try and distract Maya from the fact that her mum died. But the the thing is, no one can be distracted from the fact that their mum has died. You know, I remember her every single moment of the day. So it was, it was just further proof that like no one really wanted to discuss it and no one had the tools to discuss it. So that was what didn't work. What, what has worked, um, I think is therapy, <laughs> unsurprisingly, which is both holistic and conventional. So I believe in energy healing. So I've had energy healing as well as, um, talking therapy. I actually cry a lot. I think maybe it's my high sensitivity as well. And I think it's because I absorb a lot of sort of collective emotions Um, And I get really passionate about causes. Um, I get very emotional about things. And so I cry probably at least either every day or every other day. And I find that really, really helps. Spending alone time just being with myself and my emotions and talking to people about it. So, for example, this helps. This not only helps me heal by talking to you because it reverses what my family did, but it also helps heal other people. And so this is what works. Um, and often I read my book again, like it sounds, it's, it's weird, but it, the book is almost a gift to myself because it allows me to access my own grief and cry um, whenever I need to. So those are a few different things that work by, but by no means is it everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's never a sort of um, complete, neat, conclusive sort of list, is it, as I'm, as I'm finding I don't think that's weird at all that you read your own book. I think that's incredible that and that you're able to give that gift to yourself. And Maya, I'm just like, I could just feel my, um, oh God, I could feel it so much in my chest, like that tightness and that panic just at the thought of you getting that text from your dad. Oh. Like I can't even begin, because again, you know, the different levels we experience things on and that kind of like, okay, well, he is trying, but also to kind of leave you and your brother without any support for two decades yeah yeah actually Maya something that I'm interested in is is how you and your brother experienced it differently or if you experienced any of the same things and how you've both reconciled that message from your dad or not Sure. And actually, we experienced it very, very differently. So we're both introverted. Um, however, and I think this is kind of around gender socializing as well. I I felt more able to um, deal with my grief sooner and be more open and, and cry. Um, but he was not able to. So um, he held it all in. I think obviously male identifying people in our society haven't exactly been um, encouraged to show their grief. And also because the men in our family don't cry and he never witnessed that, he then felt he had to uh, hide his emotions. And and being an Asian male as well, I think that adds this whole other um, layer to it. Like, you know, this whole machoism, be strong, be there for the family kind of thing. So it's actually only last year when the book was published that he was open to seeking help for his grief. Um, I think it, I think it kind of opened something in him um, where he was kind of ready. Um, so we, yeah, we, our journeys have been quite different, and I'm really proud of him because I'm, I'm hearing him speak more about it now. But yeah, it, 
his was stuffed down a lot more and he's not there yet. He's not done remotely the amount of grief processing that I have. Um, and he's also got a family. He's got two young boys. Um, so I think that's also, um, been both a blessing, but also kind of, he hasn't had a lot of time because I think you need time and space to kind of grieve properly. And we don't always have that. How do you feel as an auntie? It's, it's funny. Um, so for me, I love them so much, but it hurts me to love them that much because love for me is very painful because one of the parts of losing my mum when I was nine is that when I love someone, I will lose them. So I thought that it was normal to feel pain when you loved someone. And so when I was watching TV, when I used to watch TV, I don't anymore, but I was like, why are all these people like really happy? Like they're all saying that love is great and like, they're rejoicing. I've never felt that. And I realized it's because, um, yeah, of my early life experiences and my grief. So I love them so much that there is a terror. There is, I'm more protective of them than their own parents. Like sometimes they have to tell me to calm down <laughs> because I'm like, oh my God, are they okay? Like he, he's just done that. He's just done that. And, um, yeah, I'm intense. So it definitely, uh, colors things. For me and I don't I don't actually want to have children of my own and I never have so I think it's probably best for the children that I don't uh have them because I would just be the most um overbearing mother ever <laughs> oh god my like everything you're saying just I relate to so hard I don't even know how to how to get across I feel like we could talk with you for hours but for the sake of uh, your schedule we come to our final question, which is, what haven't we asked you that you want to be asked? And not just Anna and I, but in general, what do you want to say that isn't often kind of framed in a way through a question? Sure. Thank you. I don't know if I'd frame it as something that you uh, haven't asked me, but I think it's just an additional thing that I'd like to say about grief. And that is that Um, there's so much to be said about collective grieving. I think that's something that our society is not, um, well, we're not very good at individual grieving, never mind collective grieving. But I think there's so much power in grieving with others. And there's an amazing book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Francis Weller. You may have heard of it. It, I could not speak higher of it. It's amazing. Um, And he talks about in indigenous cultures, there was like an actual practice when, when someone died, they went away and they they had like a, like up to a year of grieving and the, the their community supported them. It was seen as that important and that life-changing. And I think we've lost all of that. It's like someone dies and then you're supposed to go to like work a bloody week later or something. And I, one thing that I didn't add about my experience is that my mum died when I was nine um, and that was on the 5th of December and my birthday was on the 23rd. So I turned 10 we actually uh, scattered her ashes on that day on my birthday, just to kind of add to the tragedy of it all. But um, then I was taken out of my school and I was moved across the country to live with my grandparents. Um, And so instead of being given the space that I needed to grieve, I was expected to leave my friends, um, go across the country, make completely new friends and start a whole new uh, curriculum in another school. Then my dad got with a school friend's mum within two months of my mum dying. And so like they got together and we, I, my brother and I then had to move all the way back and restart school in our old school again. And so it's shocking now to think about, and you can probably see why I turned out, the, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the things that I'm talking about in such an, um, a negative way, I guess, but none of that like uh, gave me the space to grieve um, properly. I was just moved from one place to another in a sort of panic. And I really just want to emphasize the collective importance of grief and um, the space that our community should give us when we grieve and the language that our community should learn to help people in their grief. Because Um, It doesn't go away and it will not be healed until we can all truly um, embrace it, I think. I, more than anything right now, want to give 
nine, ten-year-old you just like a huge hug because that is just an unfathomable amount of upheaval and change and loss and so much for for you to deal with. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. I'm finding it hard to articulate just how much that is to put on a nine, ten-year-old. Like it's just it's far too much and I'm with Anna time traveling to side hug you as well thank you both that's so nice <laughs> I receive it <laughs> <laughs> one thing that is so inspirational just hearing you talk about everything that you've come through knowing where you are now and being so articulate and so creative and for you to have put together this book is such a testament to your strength it's amazing and I'm about to go and buy a copy I bet Emily's about to go and buy a copy and I'm sure so many people listening to this would really really benefit from reading it so could you just tell our lovely listeners how they can get their hands on a copy Absolutely. Um, So it's called Half Woman, Half Grief, and it's available um, on lulu.com or my website, which is mayacalaria.com. It's self-published, so it won't be available on many mainstream sites, but these are the two places that you can definitely find it. And it's available in paperback and in ebook. We will definitely be putting the links to those in the episode notes. And I've got so much wonderful stuff to read. Thank you, Maya. And thank you so much for being so generous um, with your story. And I think Anna and I are really with you in terms of this kind of, maybe this is a little pocket of collective grief because everything you were saying there in terms of it helps me heal, but others as well. I definitely feel I'm healing. I feel very uh, aware of how much better I feel in a bittersweet way listening to you. So thank you so much for sharing so much. You're welcome. And it it brings me joy to hear that. So if anything good can come out of any of this, then that's, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Mother of All Losses podcast. This episode was produced by Chris Thorburn. Music by Kane Aris, who can be found at Atom Collection 2 on SoundCloud, with huge thanks to Hannah Trevathan. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on themotheroflosses at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and your grief.